Hey, expats and travelers, welcome to this week's episode sponsored by WorldPost.io, the virtual mailbox service powered by Anytime Mailbox. We'll get to the features and benefits a little later. If you're interested in becoming an expat, whether you're moving to Portugal or another overseas location, I highly recommend you get your finances in order before you move. Yes, it's actually really important that you do it before you go. I know when we first got started, we did not do it that way. But if we knew John McNertney at Green Ocean Global, we would have gone to him as he's someone that is Lisbon-based and he is experienced with expat financial challenges. So he's a go-to person that we recommend. Right, he can help you with long-term investments, financial systems, and international taxes. And he's actually helped us and producer Dan has used him to explore what it would be like to move abroad and see if it would fit his family's current financial situation. I think what's great about him is that he gives you personalized plans. He will look into your unique situation and he'll help you out. And this is honestly what's super necessary because we get tax questions and finance questions on the YouTube channel and literally no background from the person that's asking us the question. So now we've started to point people to John. Right, because everyone is different and everyone has their own unique situation. So you need an expert to help you out. All right, so visit greenoceanglobal.net for contact information and further assistance. Check out the show notes below. Hello, and welcome, my emerging expat. You're tuned in to Let's Move to Portugal. I'm producer Dan, and I have the distinct honor of bringing you YouTube travelers and our resident Portugal experts, expats everywhere's Josh and Kaylee. Each week, they'll inspire, they'll educate, and they'll accompany you on your journey to Portuguese residency. This week on Let's Move to Portugal, we chat with Rachel, a Londoner who relocated to Portugal post-Brexit. Now back in the UK, she shares her unique insight into the cultural differences between the two countries, what she's learned, and what she misses about Portuguese life. An intriguing look at life before and after Portugal. Don't miss it. Hey, Josh. Hello, Kaylee. Hi, Dan. Hey, Dan. Last we spoke, you guys were cruising. Have you docked back on land yet? We are. We just got back to the port that we initially left from, Reykjavik, and we're spending a few days here. Boy, have we ever docked back on dry land. Um, yeah, the, the cruise was, was pretty wild, actually, because we had planned on going to six different ports of call, and we only ended up making three of them because of inclement weather. Right. So we saw two places in Iceland, uh, not including Reykjavik, and then also one in Greenland. And there were supposed to be two more interesting places in Greenland, and we didn't get to dock there. So that was a bummer. Oh, man. Right. The captain was saying that he hasn't seen this kind of weather in over 10 years in July. So I guess it's really rare, and we just happened to catch it when it was very windy. It was very cold. There were a lot of icebergs, which I would say that was Ooh. really cool to see the icebergs. I mean, us having to navigate around them, mm -hmm. going very slowly. And something that was kind of interesting is there was a cargo ship. We were off the coast in, uh, of Greenland mm -hmm. on the eastern side of Greenland and there was a cargo ship who was navigating and then a sailboat that actually we kind of all got caught in these winds that pushed so many icebergs yeah. towards us. So uh, together uh, the captains worked to follow each other. So the cargo ship went first I think because oh, he that's was probably, cool. that ship was probably more sturdier, sturdier or, and aware. You know I think that they're well, used to they're navigating used to, yeah, yeah. on a regular basis and then then the cruise ship went and the sailboat, they just followed right behind us. Because, mm -hmm. you know, obviously with icebergs, you can see they're beautiful. You see them on top, but you're not sure what's going on underneath. And that could be the danger in it. So we kind of just followed each other to get out of um, some icebergs and some winds that blew in some some crazy stuff uh, unexpectedly. You guys had a real ocean adventure. I wasn't on a cruise this week, but I did go to a renaissance fair uh, right over the border in Wisconsin. It wasn't exactly Portugal, but the turkey legs were pretty massive. Oh, nice. Turkey uh, legs. Actually, you know, yeah, those, those big turkey legs, you can find them at, at the Renaissance fairs or the middle, medieval fairs here in Portugal. Oh, yeah, nice. There's a, there's a big medieval fair that travels around the whole country, mainly in the summertime in the different yeah. cities, and they're a lot of fun. But I think the turkey legs, are, they're a little different, though. I feel like in the States, they're bigger. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, I mean, well, 
Virginia Tech, which is my favorite football team, and really, I guess my university of choice. Go Hokies! Uh, you know, had I not gotten a uh, scholarship to play soccer, Virginia Tech is where I would have gone. They're really big on turkey legs at games because they're the Hokies. That's weird, isn't it? Because yeah, like the you're, you're, you're eating your eating, mascot. Yeah, you're eating your mascot. That <laughs> is really <laughs> weird. <laughs> That's weird. That is a little gobble weird. gobble. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favorite part, Dan, about the Renaissance Fair? Uh, I really like how they have a bunch of rides, uh, but they don't have any electric motors at all. So they're all kind of, um, there's a lot of ingenuity, uh, in about ways to make them people powered. And, uh, uh, you know, like, um, one of them's just a big barrel that some huge guy is swinging around and, uh, others are, are cable rides and, um, yeah, just really, really inventive and neat ways to uh, uh, make some thrill rides that uh, uh, don't have any kind of power involved. So it was pretty cool. So wrapping up your recent travels, would you recommend a similar itinerary? You know, so actually we just talked about this. Um, you know, the, the four of us, it was me, Kaylee, and then her parents. And we Five. Said, Valencia was there. Well, but she didn't she actually didn't chime, chime in, in on the conversation. <laughs> she was playing in the corner. Um, that sounds terrible. Playing, yeah. go play in the corner, kid. He was playing. Puts baby in the corner. Uh, yeah. So we we basically asked the question like, had we known that we were going to be going on a ten day cruise, but only having three or four ports of call, three ports of call, and a bunch of sea days, would we have done it? Because there was a stretch where it was like five days at sea. Like I guess straight because five days and we just did a cruise like this and we did transatlantic, like all of us, uh, had done this and we were prepared for it, right? We were prepared for the long stretch at sea and we also had better internet connection. Oh yeah. The internet was so bad because the weather, but yeah, that's true. You, we kind of mentally prepared for it. Obviously the transatlantic one, but also I think it's a little bit of the disappointment when the captain comes over in the morning saying, yep. okay, you know, plan B didn't work. We're on to plan C because of the weather and it's just too dangerous for us to try to get to the ports. I mean, like, for example, we were trying to get to nuke the capital of Greenland on the west side of, of Greenland and the winds were so bad. I think he was saying like 100 mile an hour winds yes. and it was causing how big of waves, like crazy waves. It just wouldn't have been safe. Um, so I think that's such a, that's a bummer for the captain and the crew. I think, mm -hmm. you know, obviously they're, they've put together this itinerary and then they can't do it. And then the next, you know, plan B they can't do. And then plan C they can't do. Oh, it was so bad. It, yeah. was, it was bad when we got to that point where it was like, we were running out of plans. We were running out of letters in the alphabet. <laughs> so the first port of call that we were supposed to get to actually, um, and I guess I need to preface things by saying that, uh, a lot of these ports are really small, uh, too small for the ships. Uh, these big cruise ships. So what you have to do is you have to tender. So they, they kind of stay outside of the port and then you as passengers get in these smaller boats and then the boat takes you to the actual dock. Okay. Well, the first one we get to, we, we can't actually make the trip between where the boat drops anchor and where the dock is okay. because the water's too rough. Yeah, we could see it. And that was it was a new port that's opened up on the eastern side of Iceland. So it's a new port but nobody on the ship had been there, right? Yeah, like, it's a new people place were actually to go. buzzing and excited. And they put the tenders out to see like could could they make it and what should have been like a ten minute max drive took them like a half hour oh, yeah drive man. like boat ride that took like a half hour to get there and they just couldn't even go like, straight people are gonna was, be sick. <laughs> yeah yeah they were like people are just gonna get sick uh you know trying to make that that 10 minute stretch but little did we know that that, that would uh kind of be the theme because that was the first the first stop we didn't realize that that would be the theme of the cruise yeah so. never did it cross my mind that that would happen so to answer your question uh would we recommend a similar itinerary I think with the weather being so unpredictable, um, you just have to realize if you were going to do it, that it could be a gamble. Right. It could also be really awesome. You could see some incredible animals and, and get to, you know, put feet on more of Greenland because Greenland's a pretty tricky country to get to. Iceland, it's a bit easier from, from Portugal for sure to get to because there's direct flights. Uh, into Reykjavik, and it's not very expensive. The flights, anyways, Reykjavik's really expensive. Iceland that's, in general is really that's expensive. That's a different story, yeah. right? So that's why it's a great way to cruise around Iceland to see Iceland that way because 100%. hotels, 
yes, car rentals, yes. all that stuff is pretty expensive. So if you price it out, you can get a good deal on the a cruise. cruise is cheaper. Yeah, because that's mm -hmm. paying for your accommodation and your food. Yep. So that is a good way to see Iceland. Obviously, you're seeing the outside. You know, you're not driving in the middle part. But if you do like what we're what we've done is we've rented a car for a few days after the cruise, and we can drive around to the. You know, we went to the national like a national forest today. Mm -hmm. um, oh, nice. So that's an option as well, just to do a couple days actually in Iceland and then do the cruise to see around the country. But also Greenland too. Like, yeah, it's hard to just kind of fly into Greenland and see Greenland. So I think a cruise is a good option if the weather works out. Yeah, 100%. And what was your favorite part of the cruise? My favorite part, uh, actually seeing the icebergs, they were beautiful. I think you see like paintings or maybe like stuff in like National Geographic or something where the icebergs are so blue, like yeah, right when they hit yeah, they the water. Pretty, pretty. And you think, oh, maybe is that being touched embellished up. or touched up or something? <laughs> yeah. But it's not. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's crazy it's beautiful. how beautiful they are. So even though we awesome. got stuck in that, um, you know, and props to the to the captain for getting us out safely, um, it was really cool to see that. They were beautiful. That sounds really cool. My favorite part, and this is going to sound really strange because it, it also frustrated me as well, but I think the digital – detox like the social media and digital detox that we had because we really had no internet connection yeah the probably ship did Wi-Fi well. was bad probably did me well now i'm i'm buried and you're buried under i your know <laughs> i just thought for but, days like the stress of seeing that number just go up 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 yeah. <laughs> with the emails but we're getting to them we're getting to them slowly but surely so listener if you reached out to us over over this time period please rest assured we're going to get to your email but we're buried for sure but and we're still <laughs> not back in porto us. so we're yes. still in reykjavik for a few more days and yep. hopefully we'll get back into a routine and the swing of things in the next few days exactly I'm sure you will. Now, moving on to our episode, Kaylee, you spoke with Rachel recently. She's lived in Portugal and the UK, and she's seen the changes Brexit has brought about. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. So Rachel and I met really early on when um, Josh C and I moved to Portugal and she had yeah. already been living here. So she had lived here longer, obviously with things going on with Brexit and such. Um, so she's half American, half British. Uh, a lot of her family's actually in the U.S. now, but she primarily grew up in, in the U.K. and England. Okay. Uh, so you can tell that by her accent. But uh, <laughs> she just – and she has a daughter around the same age of Sia, and they really got along, and she just thought Portugal would be a great place. She does not like the weather in London, although she has an apartment there. So she kind of was going back and forth for a little bit, and then she decided to full-on come to Portugal, but then for job reasons went back to England. So she's kind of in – back and forth a little bit, but really you'll, you'll see listeners. She really struggles. Like she wants to be in Portugal. She just has to figure out, you know, what works best for her and her daughter and, um, you know, financially how they can make that work. So, so she's a, a good friend. Uh, you know, every time they come to Portugal, we, we visit since the girls are close in age and she and I chat a lot, but her story is really interesting. It's very different, I guess, than, than other uh, people we've had on the podcast so far. Yeah. And I think she also has a really good perspective on on just what's happened in Portugal over the past, like, let's say five years, right? Yeah, she's seen a lot of that. Mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was like pre-Brexit, like yeah, we she said. Got in she before. was, she mm -hmm. was here before that. Um, so yeah, I think a really good idea of kind of what's going on in Portugal had bought a property before kind of the, the craziness the, before COVID the, the boom before mm -hmm. COVID. Yeah. Well, the property didn't get finished until after, but yeah. Yeah. So a lot of experience <clears throat> with Portugal. Josh, is there anything travelers should know about EU countries versus the UK post-Brexit? Honestly, Dan, that's a, that's a good question. And I think that, you know, really for people that are living in Portugal wanting to travel uh, to other European countries, it's, uh, or EU countries, it's, it's the same. I mean, it's really borderless. It's like driving across um, state lines or flying, you know, from one state to another. Right. Um, you don't have to worry about the immigration checks, as long as it's within the the EU. I mean, I don't want to say, right? yeah, I don't want to say like all of Europe, but um, yeah, I mean, there's what twenty six countries right now that are part of the Schengen, the Schengen zone. Yeah, um, but that travel free is different now with the UK. So now you have to go like because well, of post Brexit, you have to go through immigration and such. Well, but that's going to the UK, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So. Just going to other other European countries, it's, yeah, it's fine. It's seamless. But now traveling from Portugal to the UK, yeah, it's it's going to be a little 
maybe more time consuming, you do get questioned. But I mean, you know, we would get questioned as Americans flying over there anyways. Yeah. Okay. About, you know, no different. Yeah. What we were doing, where we were staying, if we have financial means to be there, that type of thing. Right. So yes, the immigration is different. Another thing that's different, and Rachel talks about this, is shipping things. So while, you know, the UK and Portugal, you know, the EU used to have uh, the agreement with shipping, now that since the, the you know, post-Brexit, they don't. So you get the custom stuff. So yeah. the same things that we have issues with as Americans, shipping stuff into the EU with, you know, heavy, heavy taxes and such, uh, now they have as well. So And even me trying to get something shipped from um, our favorite soccer team, Arsenal, in, oh, in London, like, <laughs> uh, you know, it being tax when I got here, a jersey. So, oh, so wow. th- those little things are different because of Brexit. Yeah, which is a bummer. It is, yeah. But it leveled the playing field for, for Americans and Brits. Yeah, for jobs in Europe, definitely. That really helped out Americans with uh, like native English speakers. Yeah, yeah that helped. Crazy. Easier to get a visa in, uh, in the working field, I guess, because of that. Interesting. Right after this short break, we'll get to hear from Rachel herself about her experiences in Portugal and the UK post-Brexit. You won't want to miss it. Worldpost.io is powered by Anytime Mailbox, which means you can get your mail anytime, anywhere, even on your smartphone. And they really have competitive pricing with their lowest package starting at $5 per month. Here's a cool feature they have. Worldpost can relay things from the U.S. to Europe. So that includes documents. (laughs) Amazon purchases. Amazon purchases. And you can get it to Portugal. And they have a variety of packages. Some include secure shredding, free junk mail filters, and things like that. I bet you love that junk mail filter. Oh, lots of junk mail. I sign up for a lot of newsletters. (laughs) She's not joking. So if you're interested in worldpost.io, you can visit the website or check the link in the show notes below. Okay, let's talk about Lusitana Dreams because what they're offering is really great. Yeah, it definitely is. And Dallas actually has grown Lusitano Dream since we first met him. So he's really getting his process dialed in. The thing that I like about it is it removes the barrier and and choke point of the proof of accommodation. Because that's been one of the biggest things that the D7 and the D8 for the the long-term people have had problems with, right? Yeah, it's definitely something that is really hard to lock yourself into sight unseen. But here you can have a legitimate contract. You can rest assured that it's going to be a soft landing because you're coming into a furnished place in a good location and a livable location until you can kind of get your bearings and figure out where you really want to live. And the cool thing about it is that they can start your lease when you arrive. So you're not like burning a few months of, of cash essentially paying for an apartment or paying for a lease that you're not using. Yeah, that's one that's really hard to negotiate, trying to get a lease that starts when you want to arrive and not when you are actually applying. So the fact that they offer that as a service to where you're not, like you said, burning those months saves you a lot of money. Yep, Lusitano Dreams offers visa-friendly proof of accommodation. So that could be for the D7 visa or the D8 visa. And their properties include detached houses, apartments, room rentals as well in different locations like Lisbon, Cascais, Lule, and they're expanding too. So uh, soon to be Porto and quite possibly Silver Coast. Yeah, which is really exciting. So check out Lusitano Dreams for more information. We have a link in the show notes below. Well, hello, Rachel. How are we doing today? Hi, Kaylee. Great to see you again. Nice to see you. You too. So let's chat about your love-hate relationship with Portugal. Would you would you call it a love-hate relationship? I don't know. Now that I'm away, it's more like a love relationship because I miss it. <laughs> you know how these okay. things go. I, 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 but yeah, I get what you mean. Love-hate, kind of. Not hate. Hate's a bit strong. Hate's <laughs> a bit I, strong. I miss it. I miss it, to be honest. Uh, Okay, well then, where are you right now? So I'm in London, and um, as you know, I left about a year ago for a job here, and um, it's been really uh, like we just, you know, uh, miss Portugal all the time, um, especially since we just came back, um, as you know, in the spring for an extended vacation, and it was just um, so nice, so calm. 
children are really, you know, really accepted and, and adored everywhere in Portugal. And here, England, it's quite the reverse. I mean, especially in the city, people are like, don't want you to bring your kid anywhere with them. And if you do, they can't move from the chair. They can't, you know, I mean, I've got a lively three-year-old, as you know, and she just runs around the restaurant sometimes. But the other day we were somewhere where there was no one else in the, in the pub and she was, uh, we were just there for lunch and she was climbing up some chair, but it wasn't a big deal. And, uh, the, the man just said, Oh, you know, if you can't get your kid to just sit in one place and you have to leave, which, okay, fine. But there was no one else there. And I just thought to myself, well, this would never happen in Portugal. The, I, I remember, especially in Porto, the beach, you know, the nice beach restaurants and you could just, they could just roam outside on these verandas and nobody minded. In fact, the staff would actually play with Maya. I mean, so yeah, I miss that. I miss that a lot. <laughs> Okay, well, let's give our listener a little bit of background because, well, tell us um, your background because you're half American, half British, but you mainly grew up in London, right? Yeah. Uh, well, no, I'm half American, half British, but I grew up in Africa. In Kenya. Okay. So I'm, I'm a bit complicated, but I have been in England for 25 years. And when Brexit happened, I was so annoyed that I went over to Portugal and I got my uh, residency, um, you know, my NIF and, and everything before, I think it was like maybe 2018 or something like that. And uh, then we planned to move in March 2020 to Portugal. Uh, we had a place that was being built. I had a place, but it was taking years to be built. So we, um, we came March 2020. And if anyone remembers that date, that was like <laughs> the most... <laughs> The worst, yeah. Let's not not talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're still getting over it. So we arrived, and one week later, everything was in full lockdown. It was still like a nice thing to be there as opposed to in London, and uh, because an amazing beach to walk on. We had the the supermarkets full of food. Nobody fighting. And Portugal, of course, had a great record of uh, of safety at that time. They didn't have any case, as many cases as the rest of Europe and then the rest of the world. They were like deemed as one of the better places to be. So I think that that was a good thing. We were there, and we got to meet you guys. So that was amazing. <laughs> yes, definitely. So then, was your motivation about moving to Portugal was because of Brexit? You just wanted to make sure that you had access to Europe before that was cut off. Um, it was both, uh, both the fact that I thought it was a nicer place for Maya to grow up and have a, have a child, but also, yeah, the fact that I wanted access to Europe because now with Brexit, you know, we, it's much harder. Like you have to wait a long time in the immigration lines and it's just, you know, we don't have that kind of flow of back and forth that we used to. So, um, yeah, that was my, both those reasons were, were. Uh, so then what passports does your daughter hold? At the moment, she only holds English passport, but she has a Portuguese residency card. uh, Because when we lived there, we got our cards. So we're able to stay till 2027. And I'm hoping to get back. It's just taking a little bit of working on that. In terms of, you know, sorting some things out here before we go back. Yeah. And and that, and I, I guess we discussed like uh, how hard is it to come back once you've left? And uh, actually, it's harder than I thought in the sense that you have to have some time to go figure out, have an apartment, get your, your kid a place in a school, and then as you know, there's many parts of Porto. So where do you go in that time? And then when is the good time to do that? What part of the year? Because they have quite limited dates that you can start your school. Most of them uh, quite get quite full as well. So, right. um, yeah, so that's the hard part. It's like, okay, then you have to get your stuff back. You have to get your place wherever you are, rent it out. Or, you know, in my case, I own my apartment. So, you know, and it's just, it's 
not I, I don't want to do such a move again without being really prepared because with a small kid it's just kind of you know hard to uh you know adjust if you don't have like a good school for them to go to and, right. and things like that so i think you mentioned earlier that you decided to leave portugal for a job opportunity is that right that's right yes a year ago and uh, had you considered working in Portugal or why would you not work in Portugal? Oh, I really wanted to. I mean, my ideal scenario would be that I got a good remote working position in Portugal. Like uh, that I could work from anywhere and I could just get to stay in Portugal. But I was having difficulty getting that kind of role um, that didn't require like some kind of time in an office again. And, um, you know, the Portuguese salaries are just kind of, I don't, I, first of all, I, I don't speak Portuguese fluently, so I wouldn't be able to get a journalist job on a journal, financial journalist. They don't even have that kind of work there. So I did do a stint as a real estate agent in the pandemic. I really enjoyed that. I, I wouldn't even mind going back to that, but it was, you know, at the time I was doing it in the lockdown. You know, it wasn't easy because my, all my clients are international. They couldn't even get there. So, I mean, I wouldn't mind going back to that and maybe trying that again in Portugal. But again, it's like it's not a salaried position. It's something you do and you, know, you make commission, which would also be fine with me um, at this point. But, you know, at that time, I did have a good opportunity to come back to London to what I used to do, which is financial journalism. And it was a good salary. and it, But it required time in the office and then um, getting... My daughter adjusted to this school, was really terrible, and she hated it, and mornings were like some kind of, <laughs> you know, then I get told off because I'd be arriving late in the in the office, and I'd be thinking, God, if they would give me a gold medal if they could see this terrible run to her school for like half an hour, then running to the train, then getting on the, the train and then the bus, and then I should get, I felt like I had to get an award every single day that I managed to get there on time and uh, you know her's not liking the school but um i did have t two days a week remote on that job but it just wasn't really enough and given our lifestyle before in portugal and how nice that i've been it wasn't really easy to make that transition and i'd say we still struggle a bit with that you know the, the ease of portugal yeah so that's quite interesting because you, you lived 20 plus years in London and then you left and while living in Portugal, you loved it, but then you decided to go back for a job and then found that it was hard to go back to, even though you had lived there for so long, it was just hard and it was different. Like life was just different, I guess, right? I think part of it is also having a child. So, I mean, I'm coming, I'm coming back to London with a child who's a bit older uh, who who's in nursery age and they and it's just you look at the kind of dog sorry to say that i'm in like center of london it's glass everywhere from the pubs the night before i had to fix my pram like three times in the time i've been here just because the tires have been broken by broken glass because i'm living in a very central area you wouldn't really find that in portugal actually I found the streets quite clean for, for that kind of thing. And, you know, a little expedition like going to the beach, you know, in Portugal, we could, Porto, we could go five minutes and we'd be at some nice beach, you know, get an Uber and go. Here, I mean, this weekend we went to South End, which is near London, and it took, you know, an hour and a half on the train to a kind of beach that was kind of cold. <laughs> you know, it's not quite the same experience. And this morning it was raining and I just thought I can't make myself go in the rain to drop my kid at nursery. So I got an Uber, but it was, you know, it was like 15 euros as opposed to maybe the five that I would spend in Porto, you know. So it's this kind of those little things that you just think, gosh, what what did I do? Why did I do it? You know, even if I had a, even if I had a good opportunity, you know, it was like I do. We do miss it. It's just a way of. Finding our way back was, you know, going to be just going to take some time. But but you're working on it. Yeah, I definitely want to come back. But I want to do it, you know, in the right way. Get, you know, get a get the school place before and things like that. So 
But yeah, right. no. so logistically, it, it's a little hard. But if you can pre-plan, then it'll be a smoother transition, probably. Exactly, exactly. Um, and even things like obviously since Brexit, things are much harder, like shipping and stuff, and just, just things like that. It's kind of annoying, but. Yeah, in the past, it really was easy to get stuff to Portugal. It was like incredibly easy. I just packed up a few boxes and it wasn't even expensive and nobody made me even, you know, do any major paperwork on arrival or anything. But now I think it's going to be very different with the two countries, you know, not not really in the same EU zone. So, right. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, other than that, you know, it's just also the pace of life. I know you've mentioned in several of your videos that it's like a slower pace of life in Portugal. And I do miss that too. Because sometimes I just find like that kind of relaxed, friendly way of the Portuguese. And you know, I kind of miss that. You know, they're a bit more, you know, laid, I would say laid back is the right word. Um, and so, yeah, I miss that slow pace of life because everything here is just really fast. Yeah, really on the go. What about the cost of living comparisons? Like if, I mean, London, I think people think of it as a, an expensive city. What do, have you seen, you know, from moving back from Portugal to London, cost-wise, have you seen a big difference between maybe like uh, London and Porto or London and Lisbon? Oh, yeah, I've seen a huge, for me, I was living in Gaia, so I had like a ch uh, cheap rent. So for me, yeah, the price difference is huge. Like I'm paying almost 2,000 euros a month for an apartment that's really, really small. <laughs> I would not say there's anything in London that's cheaper than Portugal. Portugal is definitely cheaper to live. Everything's gone up here. I don't know about what's going on there, but like electricity. I mean, my bill was 150 pounds last month for electricity alone. Uh, I never paid that in Portugal. And at the time, I thought that there were things in Portugal that were maybe a bit more than London. Even strangely enough, food and things like that. But now I would say there's, I mean, unless Portugal's had a massive increase. Um, which I, I understand that some things have gone up in Portugal, like rent. So I would say it's still massively cheaper, you know? Yeah. But and, you, were, and, you visited recently to Portugal, right? You came yeah. back a little bit. And yeah. It's... For me, everything was almost the same as before. I didn't notice a massive difference. So I'd say your money still goes a lot further than in London. So that's a, another, you know, quality of life thing. And there's actually people complain about Porto being polluted in some areas, but actually I find the air is much better in Porto, especially by the sea. And you know, I think there's a lot of greenery there. So I'd say that on all levels, it's just a much nicer place to live. <laughs> yeah. Unless so you like... Go ahead. No, unless you have a really good reason to be in London, you know? Yeah. Which, I mean, you thought you did, right? Because you had a good job opportunity. So that brought you there. But now you're hoping to come back. And maybe Will's in motion uh, to come back. You want to stick with – maybe you could do real estate, but you could also do journalism. So are you working on anything remotely, independently right now that you could uh, have that remote job here in Portugal? Yeah, I mean, I have a, a blog called globetrottingmoms.com. And that's been fun. To, to create but I mean I don't know if that's gonna provide a uh, provide much but it's, it's been fun um, and I wrote a book a fictional book so that's also something that could be called under and over which also could be some kind of revenue pipeline but in reality I've been also looking for remote opportunities that you know I can work from anywhere and once that happens I'm you know I'm set to to move because I, you know, I can, I have a, a few uh, companies in mind that I'm just waiting to get back from. But yeah, if I can get some freelance work, like be a digital nomad in Portugal, it's a no-brainer to to come back as soon as possible. <laughs> and are the companies that you're looking to work for are they Portuguese or are they where are they from? Where are they based out of? 
Oh, no. So there's one from US that I was talking to recently and another one based in London. So no, nothing from Portugal because I don't, the only thing I know that's like based in Portugal is like mainly tourists and, and kind of businesses around fashion. Interestingly, Porto has a big fashion business with Preta Porti or something. There's a big fashion. But um, other than that, I don't, I don't think that there's a lot uh, going on there in Portugal for jobs. You know? Yeah. So the ideal situation is to work for a company outside, uh, making a, probably better wages and then living in Portugal and a slower pace of life, a better cost of living. So that would be the ideal situation. Yeah, that would be amazing. And it's not only that. It's also that the Portuguese are so friendly and nice towards children. You never have to worry. You know, I never worried about crime or, or any kind of somebody kidnapping your kid. I mean, I know we have that Madeleine McCann, but that's like a one in a, you know, it's not very common in Portugal. And uh, I, I just miss that safety as well. Like I can never leave my, obviously, in the city of London. <laughs> so um, even though it's not that dangerous here, it's just, it's just that kind of, I even felt, and maybe I'm naive here, but even I felt that I could leave my handbag on my pram or whatever by the beach and, and nothing would happen. So, I mean, Portugal just has that nice feeling, you know, whether or not it's, it's, you get unlucky, it's a, it's a question. But I think overall, it's got the third safest country in Europe, as far as I was reading mm-hmm. recently. Yeah. So, and you, you don't feel that like around London? No, not at all. Like, I mean, I, I don't feel, no, I mean, you, you just don't feel you can even let your kid go anywhere far from you or out of sight, you know, just you just don't know. I don't think one is massively dangerous, but for example, we went to South End this weekend and there were a bunch of drunks just we were coming back and there were just a bunch of homeless drunks. There were so many drunk, sorry to say English people. Coming out, coming out of the pub, and it just made me feel uncomfortable with a, you know, with a, a three-year-old around. I just kind of felt uncomfortable with that. And you would, again, it's not something you would see that much in like Portugal. This kind of drunken, homeless. I don't know. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. How does that compare to the U.S.? Because you've spent time in the U.S. as well, and you have family there. So, how does it compare to the different cities that you've been in the U.S.? Portugal and the safety aspect? Interestingly, I did not feel unsafe in New York. I mean, obviously you are to the same level, cars and all that when you have a kid, but there were so many kids. I was surprised. I saw a whole other side of New York. And when I was my, in Central Park and everything, it didn't feel that dangerous. Didn't see any like staggering drunk, drunks around. So but it's I just think, the English. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> South End. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It's interesting because in the U.S. it's a bit different in the sense that you get in your car, you drive somewhere nice, and then everyone plays in the park. It's a bit that car culture, so you're not having to walk by dodgy pubs or you know, so much. But no, I think U.S. feels a lot cleaner somehow <laughs> in that way. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That makes sense. So that makes me think, did you have a car in Portugal or you didn't need one? No, uh, did not have one. Um, did not need one. That was another amazing thing. I mean, the cost of the Uber, I did a, a calculation. and it Even if it was the same cost as a car, there's no point in having a car. You have the luxury of having someone else drive you. Someone else maintain your car. You know, if you, if you have an Uber, you basically have someone navigating for you and you know, you don't have any of the work of a car. So no, for me, that was a, a thrill. And I loved that. Just not being, um, if I wanted to get somewhere, I could get an Uber or a bus or uh, the Metro. So no, I really like that about Portugal too. Didn't need a car, definitely. Yeah. And, so and you, actually, I mean, it's amazing too. Sorry to buy in, but I mean, the 10, for 10 euros, I think it was, you get from Porto to Lisbon on a bus I mean how, how amazing is that and the bus yeah. is always accessible you know and clean and nice and on time and just amazing like 
I got I went a lot of places in Portugal, but just by bus or rail, and the, all those services were just amazing. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. So you you were living in Gaia, but you've been to a lot of places around Portugal, and you've spent a lot of time in different locations. So why were you in Gaia for a little bit, and where else in Portugal would you consider living, and why? So I was in Gaia because it was just the cheaper side of uh, Porto, but I found that it was almost as accessible. So um, it would still only be like a five or six euro cab ride if I wanted to go. And there's a bus right outside the house where I was in Gaia. And I quite liked just being out of the main um, area areas, but... And it was a bit more local, my area, so I felt like, okay, I'm not a tourist here, I'm living here. Um, so I liked Gaia for that, because it's also well-connected to trains and buses and the airport. No nothing was that far away, but you just had that little bit of uh, relief on the rent and uh, a bit more local atmosphere. But um, in terms of living, I mean, I've been told that there's a beach i want to check it out called caparica i don't know i've never been there yet that i have not found anywhere i prefer more than porto but uh i like the idea of a little bit further south just so that you can avoid a little bit more of the winter but um i haven't actually had i've, I've been to lisbon i didn't feel that vibe that at home vibe that nice small city vibe that porto has and i really i, I felt in algarve like a bit like tourists again like I don't want to feel like a tourist I want to feel like I live there and I and I felt like I when I came back to Porto from Algarve I was like life again cool restaurants cool people nice cafes you know I just felt like Algarve might be a bit slow for me coming from a big city you know I don't think uh, I think Porto is a good option I mean there's a couple more places down past um Sisimbra which I could take a look at but I haven't had the chance yet um, but for me, it's still the best place is Porto. But the only caveat thing that you don't like is that it, it gets cool in the winter. Yeah, it's just that kind of humidity. So I think if you get a new build house or something that's been tried and tested to not be like damp, then you're okay. But uh, I was in a house that's a problem in Gaia that literally could see your breath in the morning. And it was just, you had those little electric heaters but the electric heaters were not gonna you're not gonna leave them on all night so you wake up in the morning just you know it's like oh i don't want to spend the winter like that so i think if you get a new build that's really well insulated or you just have a you know a good home that's not like depending on those electric heaters to just you'd be fine yeah because the older places just are not well equipped for how cold it gets. I mean, cold, I suppose, is relative as well. Like generally when I say it's cold, a Canadian laughs at me because it doesn't snow in Porto or anything. But but I definitely understand what you mean about it getting cool. And it's sometimes it can be colder in your house than it actually is outside. Yeah, that's what I find really annoying. It's like it could actually be – it was always actually really nice outside. It was just inside with the concrete in you know, the walls. So it's something about the, that. You're absolutely right something about that that just but it's only three months a year if you could afford to like have a nice place in Algarve during the winter and then just live the rest of the year in Porto then that sounds that would be a good like option. a snowbird <laughs> exactly <laughs> like the U.S. do right they go three months to yeah. Florida or whatever <laughs> yeah or you just have a new build that has you know, better insulation and, you know, the newer ones now too, like since obviously we just bought our place and we're working with an architect and I was asking about like central air and heating because I feel like either in Porto you only have like if you have heat, then it's just like the radiators or if it's a little newer, it's those like mini splits with air and heat. So I was asking her how affordable it is to have like central air and heating because in her office she had it. So I was curious and she's like, oh, that's actually more affordable nowadays. So I was like, ooh, so moving forward, we can have central air and heating. I was really excited about that. So it seems like that is the better technology that's going up in Porto right now. Oh my God, that's amazing. Well done. If you can get that in, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? 
Yes, definitely. So, and she was talking about the same thing as like, if you're cold, you know, in five, 10 minutes, you don't want to be cold anymore. So boom, you turn that on rather than having to wait for something like that's more antiquated, like these radiators. So, so it seems like, you know, obviously the older places aren't fitted with those and they're not, it's not available, but the new builds or newer places that are being renovated, at least full renovations, they're starting to put more of that central air and heating, which will definitely help with it, you know, being colder in your apartment than outside in the winter and the humidity and possible mold issues, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I had black mold in the last apartment I was there. And that was, oh, no, no, not in Gaia. No, I had that in uh, Porto. But yeah, black mold is quite common. But you have to wash it every day. It's just very unpleasant. So yeah, so important to try and get that right. Yeah. So, so, so how did you find black mold? Just one day started growing, and like on a, on a wall, or what happened? Yeah, I think it came to January. Everything was fine until about January, and then it started in the bathrooms. Like it's just all around the walls and the windows of the bathroom. But then it kind of had spread to like the cupboards outside, and before you knew it, it and you know you put the bleach and you like get wash it off and it's back there in a couple of days so yeah I've lived through all the the things you've mentioned on your videos (laughs) all the stuff to watch out for and avoid (laughs) exactly but I can't I can't say where you should you know like but like what you said you need to look out for a new bill that would be the answer right so yeah the best option obviously you're going to pay for it though right that's it but if I, yeah. you know, I'm trying to get back to Porto, I definitely would look at a new build, 100%. But mm-hmm. On your advice. <laughs> yeah. But then, uh, you know, so people are like, oh, it's so cold in the winters. But the nice thing is it's so pleasant in the summers. So while like Lisbon and Algarve and especially Alentejo will get so hot, it is just very pleasant in the summers here. Oh, yeah. So amazing. Um, and with global warming, hate to say this, but maybe it's not so bad to be a little bit on the cooler side where we where we are. <laughs> yeah, or where we used to where we used to be, but I don't know. Where you'll be again where soon. Where I'll be soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Working your yeah. way, coming back. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like today, back. it's freezing cold in London. We have I have a jacket, trousers. I'm literally dressed for winter, and it's, um, you know middle of summer we had downpour of rain and it's just like this week it's just been like that and i don't remember a week in in porto in the summer like that <laughs> really yeah not, not many anyway not this cold i think i still think england's a little bit colder is all i'm saying yeah um, no so you got to make your way back here then make it happen that's right sooner rather than later <laughs> yeah but it is interesting hearing your story just of, you know, how you love Portugal, but for certain reasons you had to leave, uh, making the best decision for your family. But going back to a place that you grew up, well, not grew up, but you lived for quite a long time uh, in your adult years, but it was just different. And of course, it's different. Things change when you have a baby, but like it's it was different for you. And you're finding that you would rather come back to Portugal now at this stage of your life. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. I mean... I don't know if it's just that I got used to that like slower way of life in Portugal, but people are always so pleasant as well. Everyone says bon dia, you know, no, no, no aggression. Everybody's like, oh, they love children. You know, they're just nice people, Portuguese, as far as I have experienced. So I miss that too, that kind of feeling of everyone's quite happy and uh, this. Yeah, it's comfortable. And I think once you've lived somewhere better, it's a bit hard to go back, isn't it, to somewhere else? (laughs) Yes, very true. Very true. Well, Rachel, at Expats Everywhere, we believe that living abroad transforms lives. And you've lived in a lot of different places. So how has living abroad transformed your life? Well, hmm, that's hard to say. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing to live in a lot of places. I know that's not your motto. uh, Because you always (laughs) kind of remember something good from the last place you don't have in the next place and there's always a danger of grass is greener but i would say uh, it's transformed my life and that it makes me realize the world is smaller than we think in terms of you can always get you know you can always get somewhere to see somebody if you really 
want. You know, the world is small. And you and it's amazing how much you can run into people. Like so many people said to me the summer I left, Oh Rachel, I'm coming to Porto this this uh, summer. Or I'm coming to Portugal. Let's meet up and uh, and I had to say, Oh, I'm going back to England <laughs> and and then this summer I've got a lot of people coming from the US to, to England. So I mean what I'm trying to say is that we're living in a more mobile world. So just because you're not in one place doesn't mean that, you know, I think we're getting into a smaller world because people love to travel, people love to, to meet up again. So I, I feel like don't be afraid to move somewhere just because you're afraid of leaving behind your friends or something. Because you'll make new ones. I guess that's what I, okay. Now in a long-winded way I'm saying, don't, I shouldn't be afraid to leave other old friends because you'll always make new ones. And, yep. and touch, then you can visit. Your... Exactly. And keep in touch with the others, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Rachel, for chatting with me today. Oh, no. Thank you so much, Kaylee. And it was great to see you. Looking well. Got a tan. Got that Portuguese <laughs> tan. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, it's not rainy here like it is in London. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Full of great envy. But um, really good to see you. Thank you so you much. You too. <laughs> so listener, we know that you are preparing to move to Portugal. We did everything ourselves for the D7 visa. So we have a DIY D7 course. We also have a DIY remote worker course now since they've split those up. And if you're already here, we have a living in Portugal course for you. Now, the difference between the D7 and the D8 or the Digital Nomad Visa course that you could get is if you have active income, you should be getting the Digital Nomad or D8 course. If you have passive income, you should be getting the D7 course. And we have a special promotion for anybody that is a listener of this podcast. If you type in podcast at checkout, you will get $15 off. So these will just guide you through exactly what you need. They stay up to date as things change. And once you purchase it, it's yours for life. So if you're not ready to go now, you can still get it and take a look and you can use it later on. And Kaylee is a mad lady and she is always updating the course so that it doesn't fall out of date. Well, I have to because they're always changing things and so it has to stay up to date. That's facts. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Let's Move to Portugal. Contact info for all the services mentioned are in the show notes. If you like the show, please subscribe. If you love the show, please tell a friend, connect with us on our socials, and if you want to help us out, give us a review on your podcast player. Expats Everywhere Presents Let's Move to Portugal is produced by Time or Money Productions. Expats Everywhere researches our guests, and we do our best to provide factual and relevant information at the time of the recording. Despite our best efforts, we can make no guarantees as to the accuracy of what you've heard in this episode. We highly recommend that you do your own research and check your own facts.